0: I'm going to make an announcement on behalf of the, the elder board. So um, just a little, have grace and mercy, especially guests and visitors. We're going to just do a little bit of organizational stuff, but it's for a good good cause. So hang in there with me. If you look at our budget, we bring that up. Oh, maybe I can't see this stuff. Oh, no, it's not up there. Um, what well, we're going to bring up, our budget, our weekly offering is, is in the $14,000 range. That's what our budget, that's to help us do our operational expenses. Now, at the end of March, so the first quarter of the year, we were taking in way more, way more, and so we had a surplus of like $42,000 in terms of how much came in compared to how much we planned for coming in. And at this point, somewhere around this time, I'm thinking, you know what we should do? At the end of the year, Thanksgiving weekend, we should take the offering and just ask people, add to it, and we're going to give it all away. Just give it away. On top, we we already give money. We're going to give it away on top of everything. So then the next two quarters, the weekly offering that came in was much, much lower. In fact, we no longer had a surplus of money. We had a deficit of money in terms of how much we're planning to come in. And then that has continued right up to the present. We're that far behind for the year in terms of what's it's come in. Now, we actually have more money come in than is spent because we've spent less than we planned on spending. The only area we did not spend less uh, than we planned on spending is what we gave away. What we're giving away in terms of missions, in terms of to our partnering ministries like Uganda and Haiti and the well and... Pleasantville Youth Initiative, money to Ukraine, uh, freedom for youth. That money we are giving fully to the budget and, and even a little bit beyond what we budgeted already. But in talking with the elders, we decided that maybe the idea that looked so good back in the spring because we had extra money was still God's idea all along. And so we're still going to give our offering away on Thanksgiving weekend. And what we're asking is that, just keep, those of you who give regularly, just keep giving regularly, and, and some give monthly, and some, that's, that's fine, that particular will go. But maybe you would consider also giving an extra offering, like what they, in the Old Testament, was like a thanks, it's called a thanks offering. So they had like the first fruits offering, they had, you know, which is similar to a tithe, where it's your regular giving, you give out of the first that you get, you just give regularly. But the thank offering is like, this is a gift over on top. And so you, we were, are encouraging to do that. Now, we wondered about who should we give this to? Should, should we give it to, we want to give it to everybody, everything. You know, it's all good. We're, that's why we're partnered with them. But then we're just giving a little bit to each instead of maybe we're going to just give a big amount to one. And as, as we talked about it, it all seemed right to everyone that we would give this offering money to Pleasantville Youth Initiative this year. So we're going to give whatever comes in for the offering, and we're going to encourage you, maybe if you want to give a little extra. And again, this is not for Celebrate Church. This is just to give away, because that seems like the good, generous thing to do. Because the reality is, like inflation, things are tighter for people. That could affect giving coming in. We can't—our we, costs are higher, like as a church, but we can't raise our prices, right? So it's less coming in, and, but more costly, but that's what so many ministries are in right now. And so we are in a stable position, so we just want to give away. We will talk more about what Pleasantville Youth Initiative is next week, but two weeks from today, that offering, and by, we don't even announce like how you give offerings here, we don't pass plates. so there's boxes back there, or there's QR codes and websites, and I should really be better at that kind of thing, I suppose, but... There's ways to give online or digitally or whatever. Okay, enough of the announcement. Just wanted you to be aware. Now, to the message, which is on David, which, other than Jesus, there is more uh, time devoted to telling the story of David's life than any other character in the Bible. So there's a lot that could be covered. And on top of that, David wrote a bunch of the Psalms are attributed to him. So, in my first year here, we spent 12 weeks talking about the life of David, a whole fall. In the first sermon I ever gave was in an evening series where we spent a whole year going through the life of David. And I was assigned one of the, going through the whole year. I've read the whole life of David, First the parts in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and Chronicles and I've read most, if not all, of the Psalms of David in this last week. And I say this all as a warning. I have been given a sermon for eight weeks. And I am loaded with stuff. If you chose to sit on the sides or in the back, well done. Because you may want to sneak out. But in order so that it's not just me and the worship team by the time this is over, um, I'm I'm a little more organized about how we're going to approach this. What we're going to talk about is three roles that David played, how Jesus fulfills these three kinds of roles perfectly. And with each one, we're going to ask a question, and then we're going to read a Psalm of David as part of a response. But to tie it all together, actually, we're going to look at a story of Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And I'm reading, going through the Bible, uh, looking at it, in parts of the Bible that I'm not going to be teaching about. I want to read the Bible just for myself, not just I'm reading it so I can tell other people about it. But this week in one of those parts came this story about Jesus talking with the Pharisees and there's a dispute about the Sabbath. And I just couldn't get it out of my head. And so last night, I even woke up, I even got out of bed and just said, you know what, I think this story actually organizes it all. So here's the story from Mark chapter three. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did? Have you never read what David did? And he goes on to tell a story about David. Now before I get to the story about David, just so you know, these people read what David did. They knew all the stories about David, including where we just started. They would start with the fact that David is a shepherd. That was his starting point. So let's look at, at a little bit of that story that we saw watched but the, what it comes from the Bible First Samuel 16 verse 11. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. He's a shepherd. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, uh, David was anointed there and anointed... Let me just say this. Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek way we translate the Hebrew word Messiah. So David here, and what Messiah means is to be the anointed one. So this is the verb form. David was Messiahed here, with the oil poured out. And there's this combination of the oil being Messiahed for a a role, but also the spirit coming on him. Okay? Now, a little bit later, we're getting to the story of David and Goliath and whether David should fight Goliath. He wants to fight Goliath, but I mean, you're just a kid. You can't fight this giant. Uh, verse 34 of 17, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Again, he's a shepherd. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the rock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David is not your average shepherd. When he loses the sheep, he goes after it. When there's danger, he risks his life for it, trusting in God. He is a good shepherd. Well, he's not the only one. Jesus is a shepherd. But by, oh, one more, one more thing to read. I don't know where it is? Maybe it's right here. Um, this is how David's described after he becomes king. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns, and the Lord said to you, "You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler." You will shepherd my people and you will be my ruler. The ruler is the government king position. But the shepherd is is what is used throughout the Bible to talk about how spiritual leadership happens. The spiritual leaders of the people of God are often referred to as shepherds. In Ezekiel it talks about, this is warning, if you're a bad shepherd, it's really bad because you're leading God's people away from him. There's good shepherds and there's bad shepherds and that same uh, motif is used in the New Testament in multiple places. So now back to this story well yeah, back to this story about Sabbath. The Pharisees see themselves as the shepherds, the spiritual leaders, and they 're trying to make sure things are done right and the Sabbath isn 't being done right, and so they 're going to do something about it because they 're the spiritual leaders, and meanwhile they 're saying it to Jesus who they don't see as a shepherd or a spiritual leader. So in another uh, part of the Bible, in another Pharisee Jesus conversation, John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, Jesus is the shepherd, and while David is willing to risk his life, trusting God to save sheep, Jesus actually gives his life to save sheep, to save us, because he is the good shepherd. And David saw the Lord as his shepherd, as his spiritual leader, as the one who would take care of him. And so the question, uh, first question that I want us to get in touch with, is what does the Lord want to do for us? Or, more specifically, for you personally. What does the Lord want to do for you? Because he is your shepherd. And he's not the kind of shepherd that just, it's just a job. In another spot it talks about how, if there's one missing, he will go after it. Because he cares so much about the sheep. And so I'm going to read the most famous psalm of David. But I'm going to read it in a prayerful way and just ask you to like take it in. This is what the Lord wants to do for you. Right now. Moving forward in your life. And I'm going to read it twice. There may be some particular aspect of this psalm that... God will just kind of highlight to you, like, this is, this, is how I, this is what I want to do for you. This is what I want to be for you right now. So come, Holy Spirit. Tell us what our Lord, what our shepherd wants to do for us today. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul. He guides you along right paths for his namesake. Yes, even though you walk through the darkest valley, you will fear no evil because the Lord is with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will anoint your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely his goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just, in case, just so we don't miss it, this is God's heart for you and what, how he wants to be with you, what he wants to do for you. So one more time, the Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul. He guides you along right paths for his namesake. Even though you walk through the darkest valley, you will fear no evil, because he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely his goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, getting back, that's the first part. David was a shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. He's a good shepherd to us. That's what he wants to do for us. Getting to the second part, we go back to that story in Mark where they're talking about you know, you can't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is, well, let me, what about that story in David? Now, if I'm racking my brains for what story in David is he going to tell? I mean, immediately, is it going to be David and Goliath? I mean, David and Bathsheba? Is it going to be, you know, what story is he going to tell? And he picks this obscure story. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. And so Jesus goes on to be saying, you know, then the Sabbath is, is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's talking about the Sabbath there, but he gets to the, like this story of like David being hungry and going and, and He's not a priest, so he's not supposed to eat the special bread, but he does, and he gives it to his companions. And here's the thing. David technically is not a priest, but David certainly is priestly. He does things that priests do a lot. It's like he really, deep down, more than being a warrior, more than being a king... He wants to be a priest, is what it seems like to me. So when he becomes king, and he is over all the people, and he has conquered Jerusalem, the big city, the city that's almost impossible to take, now he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is the sign of God's presence. He wants to bring that back into Jerusalem. And here's the story of how it works. If I find it, maybe it's right here. Yep, all right, so... 2 Samuel chapter 6. What verse am I starting with? 13. When the, those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and, fattened, and a fattened calf. David did. Priests are the one who do the sacrifice. Wearing a linen ephod, which is what priests wear, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While well, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it, which is like the tabernacle, which again, Levites, David wasn't Levite, and priests were part of doing all this. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He blessed the people. You know who blessed the people? The priest. The priest. Aaron, the high priest, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you and give you peace. That's the priestly blessing. David is doing all the things that a priest does. Now, we know that Jesus is a priest. In Hebrews, it talks about, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the kind of priest Jesus is. We can go right up to the throne of God, because we have a priest, a mediator, someone who stands in our place. Here's another just a little bit later in, in Hebrews. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first at, for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So he's not just like the perfect priest, the priest that actually can get us connected to God. He's not just the priest. He's the sacrifice. You know, the priest usually does the sacrifice. He's the priest and the sacrifice. But he's not just that. Let's go back to the story about the Pharisees and Jesus fighting about the Sabbath day. But let's look at how Matthew talks about about that, so going to Matthew. Ooh, of course, oh, I got it. There's a lot of marks today. All right, here we go. Chapter chapter 12, verse 3. Jesus answered, "Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now listen to this. Or haven't you read in the law?" that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is not just the priest. He's not just the sacrifice. He is the temple, the place where it all happens. Now, what is the significance of the temple? The temple is the place where heaven and earth come together, where God most fully is present on the earth. That was the idea. It was a tabernacle, it was a tent for a while, and then it became a temple, and Jesus is saying, I come with more presence, more of God's presence. It's more fully expressed in me as a person than it is in the temple, The place on earth where his glory most rested, where there was clouds sometimes, where fire came from heaven at times, where this is the place where you came to meet with God. This is the place that was thin between heaven and earth, and Jesus is saying, this is the place, and you all know it, and it's symbolic, and you see like this is the glory of God, and I stand above that because there is more glory in me and my person because I really am God, and he is saying all that in this little exchange about the Sabbath. Now David, after he brought the ark in and set up a tent, the very next thing in his story of his life is him saying to God, God, I live in a house made of cedar. You're in a tent. I want to build something for you. I want a palace for you. I want to build the temple. And through the prophet Nathan, David's told, no, you got too much blood on your hands. But your son after you will be able to do it. And so David says, that's what I want to do then. I am going to get it ready. I am going to fund it. I am going to organize it. I'm going to make sure that there is worship and prayer and sacrifice happening all the time. Because I want God's presence. That is what he's about. I want to be a person who helps facilitate God's presence coming because I've tasted his presence. I've seen his presence. I know him personally, and there is nothing better than that. So that is what I'm going to give myself to. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And while they're coming up, it just strikes me that David is willing just to offer so much to God. So I was reading the story about how they're taking six steps and they're sacrificing like a big animal. Well, why did they do that? Well, if they were moving the ark, they were supposed to only take so many steps, but it was way more steps than that. Like, hey, make sure when you walk, I can't remember the exact amount, but make sure when you walk this many steps that you sacrifice an animal before you move the ark any further. And David says... Well, if we're supposed to go like offer a sacrifice every this much, I'm going to offer a sacrifice every this much. I'm going to sacrifice even more and more and more and more. There was a time when David is going to do a sacrifice for behalf of the nation and he he wants to do it in a specific place. And so he says, I will buy this place from you. And the guy says, King David, you can just have the place. And he says, I will not give a sacrifice that costs me nothing. I will not give a sacrifice that costs me nothing. You know, David, before he was ever king, would sing songs when he was still a shepherd and evil spirits would leave when he sang. He danced before God with all his money. It's sort of like David's like, well, whatever you want, God, I am going to give it to you to the full hilt. Right before he dies, when he's setting up, the, preparing for the temple, he gives vast amounts of money from his from his own personal treasury, then he gets the leaders to get a bunch of money, and then he says a prayer, thank you, God, that we get to give something to you, because everything's from you anyway. He's thanking God that he could sacrificially give so much to him. Camille said to me this week when I was talking about this and trying to figure out what I was going to talk about, she said, it seems like Moses moved God's people, but David moved God's heart whatever you want I don't care what anybody thinks I don't care what it costs even more and so the second question of the morning is what do you want to give to the Lord we know what God wants to give to us it's more than we could ask for it's not what we deserve but he just wants to give it to us anyway so in response what do we want to give back to him It's like nothing mattered to David except one thing because here's another psalm of David just the very next psalm after the Psalm 23 or no, it's a couple more later we'll do that one later. One thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord that I may be in his presence all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, will I seek. So as we sing this song, let's do it with the idea of like, what do we want to give back to the one who has given his life for us and who promises to be with us and walk with us and take care of us this life, all the way into eternity. I'm going to have you all take a seat for just a few minutes before we close to get to the last picture, roll. David was a king, and he wasn't just any king. He was an extraordinary king. They were a fledgling, disunified bunch of tribes And David came, and they were oppressed on every side, and David just conquered all kinds of enemies. And he brought a spiritual renewal in the country, and he unified them eventually. And he made tons of mistakes, especially with his family, but he had a heart after God, and he was a good king. And Jesus is our king. And when Pilate asked him about that, are you really a king? Well, my kingdom's not of this world. But my kingdom is such that any, no matter how powerful, earthly ruler, boss is, you got it from my kingdom. Because my kingdom's over all kingdoms. And the most quoted psalm of David in the New Testament that Jesus refers to multiple times is Psalm 110, which first verse is that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David is saying, Yahweh God says to my Lord, the coming king who will be my descendant, I'm going to make all of your enemies a footstool at your feet. There is nothing that can stand against Jesus on earth or in the heavenly realms. He has complete victory. Now going back to this story of the Pharisees and Jesus and him responding to this Sabbath, conversation about the Sabbath with like, yeah, but what about this story with David? In that story, David has already been anointed. And God has said, this is my anointed one to be the king. But in that story, Saul and his people are going after him. They don't recognize him as the anointed one from God. And they are going to try to kill him. And so Jesus is talking to people who don't recognize Jesus as the anointed one he's, Jesus has already said the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me because he's the anointed one but they can say no you're not my king you're not in charge of me we're not listening to you and so can we for a little while a day is coming those who say you're not my king will be his enemies and so the last question is will you say for the first time for the hundredth time you are my king jesus i want you to be my king i want you to be in charge of my life i am So amazed when I read David's story or David's Psalms. I'm I was looking for something specific when I read through them, but what I kept seeing over and over again was David say, Help! I know I can trust you, help be merciful to me, forgive me, drive away my enemies, rescue me from this situation you know I've been betrayed, you know I haven't slept all night, you know all these things but I'm trusting you because I know ultimately you reign over it all and that's what we can say too we can say, we need you we want you to be our king, help us to live like you're our king So one last psalm of David, and I'll ask you to stand. From Psalm 24. It said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And so we know that Jesus is the high priest who has made a way for us, that he stands at the door and knocks and will come in for any who, who welcome him in. And so the psalm goes on to say, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up high, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. And now we have a chance to say, come on in, king of glory. You have a chance to say, we want to welcome you in, king of glory. And so we want to do that now. We want to do that now with all of our heart and with all of our mind. We want to say, yes, you are our king. Yes, you are in charge. Yes, come dwell in this place fully with all your glory because we say, you are our majesty, and we lift you up this morning.